Hi, everybody. This is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. There once was a small American town, and although it sat in the forgotten corner of a giant city, it was much like any other small community around America. Everyone knew everyone else's name and everyone's business. Instead of a stream or a brook, we had the fire hydrant. We didn't have farmer's markets, but we did have a well-stocked bodega. And rather than sitting on the front porch to watch the little world flow by, we sat on our stoops. And it seems like an ancient time, like it was some lost city. It was like I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. I had to have been five years old, so despite my photographing memory from my own nostalgia, you'll have to forgive me if some details are a touch misty. I stepped out and there was a buzz in the air. I had only been on this earth for about 1800 days, but I sensed a buzz. As we headed towards Pleasant Avenue, there were mobs of people standing around. And all the cars looked funny. They were all old-fashioned. Had I stepped into a time machine? What, was this a dream? I heard my sister say, they're making a movie. And man, were they. None of us at that moment had the foggiest idea that it was not just any movie, but one of the greatest ever made. And the scene being shot was one of the most iconic of this great film. It was The Godfather, the first one, GF1, shooting on the corner of 118 and Pleasant Avenue. The scene where James Caan beats up his wife-abusing brother-in-law, who ends up washed out and bleeding under the Johnny Pump, or the fire hydrant for the uninitiated. Come here, come here, come here, come here! Some of the local kids actually made the final cut, as did a few of the wise guys. None of my five-year-old friends did, but my older sister still recognizes faces whenever they watch it. If you look carefully in the background, you'll spot a young Frank Severo, who would turn up in a larger role in Godfather 2, as well as a major role in Goodfellas. Our friend Russ, aka the Bloodmaster, if you listen to episode 6, took some amazing photos that day, including a few candid shots of Francis Coppola eating, walking around with a top hat. But these are amazing photos. Check the Stoops of Atlanta's Facebook page. I'll try to post some of them. I wish I could honestly say that I recall Coppola shouting, Action! But to be honest, that day was just a mishmash of still images in my memory. I was only five years old, but I'm glad those photos exist. I might not remember the details, though, but it had a huge impact on me. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. The streets of Pleasant Avenue and the drive were like Hollywood backlots with their old brownstone homes and cobblestone streets. As a kid, these streets were magical. You could ride your bike down to the dead end where the drone of the FDR drive hummed. In fact, if you watch the scene in The Godfather, you'll notice a large yellow Rheingold truck parked horizontally across the street in the background. That was placed there to block all the modern 1971 cars zipping by on the drive, and probably also to cut down on the traffic noise. Anyway, at the end of the street, the sidewalk curved around to the other side, so you could ride your bike on one side of the block and curve around to the other and never leave the sidewalk, never go into the street. There was something so cool about that as a kid. Today, these streets are busy with shoppers at the Costco Mall. As a kid, it was the Washburn Wire Factory that hummed during World War II, but closed up shop in the mid-70s. It sat desolate and empty for years. I myself not only shot a movie there, but would hold an outdoor premiere screening on that street. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. 
A year or so later, we gathered on that same street to watch the filming of a scene from Serpico. I don't recall if Pacino was there. In fact, I don't think the scene even made the final cut. But that buzz was in the air again, and I really liked it. A couple years after Serpico, I was coming home from school, Holy Rosary on 119th Street, when that same buzz was in the air again. As was the lineup of RVs, equipment trucks, and the many, many more people than normal milling around 118 and Pleasant Avenue. That same cobblestone street with James Caan flog his broomstick at Gianni Russo. And this time, they were filming a TV movie called To Kill a Cop, starring Joe Don Baker. If anything, actually stars Joe Don Baker. And Desi Arnaz Jr., amongst you know, a bunch of other made-for-TV stars. Me and my buddy Howard were like two kids on a film set. Well, actually, we were two kids on a film set. and We were running from person to person, notebooks and pens flapping, asking anyone on two legs, are you somebody important? I ended up getting autographs that day from a grip, a PA, the couple cooking hot meals for the crew, Burt Reynolds' stuntman, or some grip claiming to be Burt Reynolds' stuntman, and, drumroll, Desi Arnaz Jr., which is pretty cool since I'm a huge fan of Isla Lucy. I wonder what ever happened to that signature. As it goes on film sets, there were a lot of waiting around for very little filming. The scenes were, seemed to be all B-roll, second unit stuff. Desi getting out of cars, people walking. Some might find this dull, but it was amazing for me. I didn't want to leave the street for a second, and I hemmed and hawed when dinner time came. Again, a few years later, another film crew heightened the energy on Pleasant Avenue. This time, it was for some action film called The Exterminator. In war, you have to kill to survive. On the streets of New York, the choice is the same. For The Exterminator. We all watched in awe as they hosed down Pleasant Avenue to shoot a scene where a garbage truck chased an armored truck that actually spun out. Real-life stunt work right here on my street. I mean, how cool was that? This was all feeding my soon-to-blossom desire to make my own movies. And even more excitement lay ahead. Rumors were spreading that they were going to blow up a car. Blow up a car? This was all me and Scott needed to hear. I mean, how many cars have been demolished by explosives in all the shows I watched? SWAT, Starsky and Hutch, The Six Million Dollar Man, Charlie's Angels. I would be witness to the spectacle in person. But it was cold out, midwinter. For hours, the crew seemed to be wandering around doing nothing. Why are they so lazy? Come on, let's get this show on the road. The car that would be a victim to the bomb was parked in an empty lot on Pleasant Avenue, between 118 and 119. The location that would soon become a community garden. We watched curiously as a crew member dropped water balloons from an adjoining building onto the roof of this car. Over and over. I mean, what was going on? And we were freezing, standing in the doorway of the corner building, shivering. We weren't going anywhere until that damn car was a ball of flames. We kept bugging crew members. When are you going to blow up the car? Soon, they would say, or not sure, or working on it. Hurry up. I had a pee, and the cold air penetrated my snorkel coat, and I was shivering my bones. Finally, a crew member actually came up to us and said one of the most disappointing sentences I had so far heard in my life. Well, I had not yet been turned down to the prom by my 8th grade crush. Well, yeah, that was two years away. Well, anyway, he said, kids, it's going to be late, like four in the morning before we blow that car up. The combined hopes and dreams of Scott and I fell to the top step and rolled and bounced down the stoop into the curb onto a pile of dog poop. Rats. So there was no point in standing there like snowmen. So we went home. Sometime during that night, as I wandered in dreamland, a car was blown up just a block away from my bed, and I missed it.
years later, I tracked down the movie, and sure enough, I watched a scene where the hero drops a water balloon filled with nitroglycerin or something from a roof. It lands on the bad guy's car, which explodes into a lovely ball of orange fire. Oh well. I would have another hit and miss with an exploding movie car. Keep listening. Next in the 80s came an entire month of watching movie magic live on 118th Street. It was for a Hispanic TV miniseries called Oh Yeah Willie. They shot all over the hood at and all times of the day and night. It was a lot of fun. It really made our sometimes dull street filled with something to do. Me, Joe, Scott, my cousin Joe actually got to be extras. Our TV debut was a real acting challenge. We had to sit on the stoop and watch as a frantic Willie ran by. They did about five takes. I've never seen a second of this TV show, but I continue to search. And I'm going to demand a retroactive Emmy Award. By this time, I had the bug. I cannot imagine a more exciting and fun job than being a movie director. I mean, I tend to live in my head, in my imagination. So what better job than it is than to bring it into reality? And I did. The most exciting movie scenes shot on 118th Street were directed by me. Me, my cousin David, and my best friend Russ were to make multiple films. The first was a short called Different Schools, and we got to use guns and blood squibs. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I remember the Italian lady next door yelling at us for making so much noise as we shot a drive-by shooting scene. But we had the magic slip of paper, a permit. The city of New York, as well as the police department, had our backs. So as the loud blanks were fired and the blood packets popped on the chest of Nick Sandow, who plays Joe Caputo on Oranges and New Black, by the way. My dream was coming true. There were other shorts, but it peaked with No Exit, our first feature film. A mob movie that starred Nick Sandow and Vinnie Pastor, who played Big Pussy in The Sopranos. Along with Arthur Nascarello, Louis Lombardi, and others who have been in dozens of TV shows and films. You guys knocked off Loki's warehouse, right? Right? Yes, so. You shot the guard. Listen. Shut up. He didn't shoot nobody. I should shut the... As tribute to Coppola and the original inspiration of my movie bug, we shot a scene where Nick Sandow gets thrown a beaten by two humongous toughs in the same location James Gunn beat up his brother-in-law. CBS News actually ran a story about that and our upcoming trip to LA to screen the film at the first ever Dances with Films Festival. There was another tribute I needed to make. We had intentionally written a scene where a car, its trunk loaded with the dead body of Vinnie Pastor, would explode into a fireball. We were going to film firsthand that overused but always exciting trope of the exploding old sedan. We contacted Drew Giratano, that firearms expert who had set up the squibs in our drive-by scene, and he weighed out the costs involved. Yes, I may have missed a boom on Pleasant Avenue that cold January night, but this time, I would be directing my own blast. But alas, no. David Buckley, our producer, who really was hands-off and let us make our own movie, put his foot down on this. It was just too expensive to be worth it. We pleaded, but no cigar. But the movie had lots of gunplay, about 300 F-bombs, and great cinematography by Richard Brooks. Yo, the sun don't shine on this side of the street. Macaroni and pizza is all we eat. You know what's guineas never skinny because we rolling dough. And yo, organized crime gets theirs on the low. Buckley did love my idea that had been a dream of mine for years. To hold a premiere of the film outside on the dead-end street of 118 on a giant outdoor screen. I'll always remember that night we rented one of those Hollywood spotlights and the neighborhood came out, crowding the usually quiet street, eating free popcorn and soda as the film unreeled before us all. I still feel odd that the row of little kids at the front sat and watched such a violent movie. I guess we had all grown up with the real thing. Everyone had a blast. They say timing makes champions. Well, No Exit came out two years too late. The world had enough of the urban crime dramas, so No Exit ended up not much more than a German DVD deal. 
I actually have a copy of the film dubbed in German. Pretty funny listening to Vinnie Pastor talk German. Kind of sounds like Hitler. Years later, I made a lower-budget feature film, much of it shot in East Harlem as well. The film was a trippy science fiction film called Trip to Sane, and starred the voice of Mystery Science Theater's Trace Ballou, another dream for me. Say hello. Hello, Rupert. Freaking out? Enjoying the faces morphing out of the wall? Don't be bad. But aside from winning Best Non-Horror Film at the first-ever Buffalo Screams Film Festival, the movie did nothing. But if you want, you can watch it on Amazon. So I had two bombs and not a single explosion. Perhaps one day I'll get back behind the camera and shoot for feature number three. Until then, well, I dream back at all those great movie moments that I witnessed and took part in on my stoops of Atlantis. This has been The Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future episodes as we journey back to that ancient mythical land that actually existed, East Harlem. And please join the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe on YouTube or iTunes. See you next time.